Amen. Brother Paul? It's always a privilege to be able to open the Word of God. Although I feel usually like Joshua, trying to fill the uh, footsteps of Moses, and a little bit intimidated uh, to do the kind of job that I'm used to hearing from the pews. It was a blessing to hear Dad and Charlie and Newell this morning. Um, it, was a, it was great, and uh, Newell was a, a good introduction to what I want to speak to you on this morning. As we open the Word of God, I want you to think about a question. This morning, that question is that I want to focus your attention on is, are you, or as you hear it, am I, are you growing in the Lord? Are you growing in the Lord? What I mean by that is, are you maturing and improving in your Christian walk in this world? Are you getting better at walking with the Lord and living a spirit-filled life? Amen. Or are you just getting older physically? Are you more consistent at living for the Lord today than you were last year or five years ago? Again, are you growing in the Lord? The Christian world around us is more concerned with growth in numbers than in growing in the Lord. They're more focused on church membership, how many were saved the previous Sunday, or how many they expect to get from their bus ministry. But you know, those things aren't very important. The Bible tells us that what's important is, are we growing in the Lord? Are we continuously improving and growing in what the Lord wants us to be in this life? Amen. The Bible has much to say about this. Our Father in Heaven wants us to be continuously growing and improving in our Christian walk. And that should be a great desire of our hearts, to be increasing year after year in our spiritual strength and maturity in this world. The Bible tells us in Luke 2.52 that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. If you were young this morning, you're increasing in stature. You're growing physically. But the question is, are we all growing in the Lord? Are we increasing in favor with God and good men? The Apostle Peter writes to us in 2 Peter 3.18 that we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not a matter of personal preference or liberty. This is a commandment of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to be growing in the Lord. This should be a priority for each one of us. Right. But are we doing it? Are we growing in the Lord? The preacher wrote in Proverbs 1.5, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Notice that a wise man will increase in learning. Solomon also wrote in Proverbs 9.9, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Observe that a wise man is never content with where he is. He's looking to learn. He's looking to increase. He's looking to grow in the Lord. And our brother Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 that the purpose of the church was that we should be no more children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but that we may grow up into him in all things, even Jesus Christ 
Paul also rebuked the Hebrews in Hebrews 5 because when they should have been teachers, they were still in need of someone else teaching them. They had not matured and grown in the Lord as Paul was expecting them to. So we can see that the Bible over and over exhorts believers to be growing in the Lord, to increase in their spiritual maturity in the Lord. But what are some specific areas that we should grow in? We're talking about generalities, growing in the Lord, but what does that mean? What are some areas that we can be increasing in, that we should be growing in? Well, for one thing, what about your faith? Are you weak in faith or are you strong in faith? Is your faith something that's ah, just so-so? Or are you growing in your faith year by year? Do you worry that God may not be able to take care of you and your needs? Remember that Jesus said in Matthew 6.30, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Our Lord is teaching us that we should have great faith in his ability to help us in every situation of life. That's right. But are we growing in our faith in the Lord? Are we increasing in our reliance upon him regardless of those difficulties of life? Another point, how well do we serve others? Are we selfish and self-centered, or have we learned to serve and give to others like we should? Our Lord said in Matthew 20, 26 to 28, But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Amen. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister right. and to give his life a ransom for many. This passage emphasizes that our focus should be on serving others. But how well are we doing it? And are we improving in our willingness and desire to serve others. Another thing, are you a good listener? Are you quick to listen or are you quick to speak? Proverbs seventeen twenty seven teaches us that a man of knowledge spares his words. James 1 tells us that we should be swift to hear and slow to speak. Amen. Are we getting better at listening? Are we getting better at hearing what others have to say. We may not be the perfect listeners yet, but are we improving on being good listeners? Or we do, do we always want to talk? Lord, help us to improve in our ability to listen to others. Are you discouraged by adversity? Do tough times move you? Are you easily discouraged when things come your way that you weren't expecting? Or do you stand steadfastly in the sovereignty of God regardless of the situations of life. Proverbs 24.10 warns us that if thou, be, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. So how do you deal with adversity? And even more importantly, are you getting better at dealing with the tough times of life? Are you, by the grace of God, growing in your ability to handle hard times? Right. Another point. How well do you know the doctrine of the Bible? Do you know the doctrine of this church well enough to teach others? Or do you still need to be taught those things that perhaps you should have learned a long time ago? According to Proverbs 22, one of the purposes of hearing the words of the wise is to be able to keep those words within you so that you can answer others 
with the certain words of truth. Amen. Are you able to give a reason of the hope that is within you regarding the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ? If you can't answer questions today, are you studying? Are you preparing so that someday you will be able to answer questions? We want to be improving. We want to be able to teach others the word of God when asked questions of. Another thing, do you remember what you're taught? Through sermons, daily proverbs, and other means of teaching, our pastor lays upon us many words of wisdom each week. But how much do we remember of what we're taught weekly. According to Proverbs 4, 5, one of the keys to acquiring wisdom is that we do not forget what we have been taught. We must retain the words of truth. Are we doing that? Do we listen carefully and then review what we've been taught in order to retain the wisdom and truth that our pastor gives us? Are we getting better at remembering what we've been taught? Are we growing How well do you rule your spirit? Do you rule your spirit well, or does your spirit uh, rule you sometimes? Proverbs 16.32 teaches us that he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. We usually think that a conquest of an impregnable city is a great thing, a great act of courage and strength. But this verse is teaching us that a greater man is one who can rule his own spirit, especially the emotion of anger. How do you measure up? Are you better controlling your spirit than you were last year? Are you growing in this godly characteristic? Are you improving for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ? And then, how sober are you? Do you find it difficult to be serious in life? The Bible warns us in Ephesians 3 that foolish talking and jesting are not appropriate for spirit-filled Christians. Instead, the serious-minded believer should be focused on giving God thanks for the many good things that he gets in life. This especially applies to young men, as Paul instructed Titus to exhort the young men to be sober-minded. But at the same time, it applies to all of us. Are you striving to be serious in your responsibilities and duties in life? Are you growing away from foolishness and toward sober-mindedness? May the Lord bless each of us to increase in sober-mindedness in this world. We all need that. The world around us is just running to and fro with all kinds of frivolous laughter and entertainment. We need to be sober-minded. This world is serious, and the life that's coming after us is even more serious. And then how do you honor authority in your life? Some people chafe at every authority figure in their lives. They seem bent on resisting and disobeying authority whenever they get a chance. How do you respond to authority? The Bible clearly condemns those who resist authority in 2 Peter 2 and the book of Jude. Because of these passages, we should want to honor and obey every authority in our lives. Are you growing in your ability to submit to and reverence the authority figures in your life? Do you more fully understand today that God ordained each of those authority figures and he expects you to honor them even as you honor him? Are you growing in the Lord? Do you find it hard to get out of your comfort zone? If we're going to serve the Lord and serve others, we are called upon 
to become uncomfortable at times. That is, we're going to have to feel uncomfortable to perhaps welcome a total stranger in the church, to invite others into our home, or to stand up and exhort the brothers regarding their duties in the Lord. Sometimes those things make us feel uncomfortable. They're hard. They're not easy. But are you improving in your willingness to get out of your comfort zone? Peter and the other apostles, no doubt, were forced out of their comfort zones on the day of Pentecost. Remember, he had been scared before. This was a new experience for him. But they got up and preached the word, and the Lord added many to the church that very day. Are you willing to get out of your comfort zone and serve the Lord? Are you increasing in your willingness to do so for the benefit of this assembly? And then, how easily do you overlook the faults of others? If you're like me, by nature, we are easy to criticize others. In our flesh, we actually enjoy finding the faults in those around us. But we should graciously overlook them, especially when they're offensive to us. Proverbs 19.11 states that the discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Do we go out of our way to pass over transgressions upon us? Do we look forward to being able to show mercy to others that offend us? Are we growing in this grace? Are we trying to show more mercy year after year to others? Or are we just getting older? These are just a few of many areas that we could focus on or we all can improve on. We should be striving to improve upon in our lives. But how do we make these improvements? How do we go about getting the increase or getting the growth that we need? The Bible has a variety of steps by which we can follow to actually implement that growth in our lives. First of all, we must feed in the Word of God. According to James 1.25, the emphasis should be to look into the perfect law of liberty, to see our deficiencies, and to correct them by obeying the Scriptures. Right. The Bible can easily show us how we ought to be growing in all the areas of our lives. We just need to carefully and meditatively read it, and then in obedience to the Scriptures, make the changes that have been brought to our hearts and minds. Secondly, we must beg God to reveal to us our faults and offenses. We should pray after the pattern of Psalm 139, 23, and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The Lord will reveal those areas that you need to change. Take his direction and make the improvements. Third, we must participate fully in the church. Regularly interact with all the brethren in a godly fashion for the strength in numbers and the correction of others. Each one of us should be able to encourage and exhort each other to our duties in the Lord. This process will result in the growth of each one of us within the body of Christ. Fourth, we must fellowship with the saints. We all need fellowship with the saints of God. More fellowship with godly men and women will lift us to higher levels of spiritual maturity. If you want to be wise, the Bible tells us, you will spend more time with wise men and wise women. Next, we must avoid and despise the ways of the world. Ungodly friends and influences 
will corrupt your good manners. As 1 Corinthians 15.33 so clearly says, we must learn to hate and avoid everything that is contrary to the word of God and righteousness. And last, we must make the efforts to grow in grace. Ultimately, it is the effort that you personally put into growing in grace. It is not the result of what this church, the pastor, or others can do for you. It's what you do. It's the effort you put out. You must begin today. You must determine that you need to improve in one or more areas of your life and then put in the effort to make meaningful changes by the power of the Holy Ghost. You can do it. You must get started today. Lord, help us to be growing for your honor and glory. Brother Jonathan. You can be turning to 1 Peter chapter 5, if you'd like. My soul, be on thy guard. 1 Peter chapter 5, I'd like to read verse 8 to you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Be sober and be vigilant. What does it mean to be vigilant? That's what I'd like to speak to you about today. To be vigilant means to watch, to pay attention, to be on thy guard. To be ready. To be consistently reevaluating the situation, ready to act at the sign of any negative change. For example, if the goodman of the house had known in what watch of the night the thief was coming, he would not have suffered his house to be broken into. And the solution to that in that parable was that the goodman of the house needs to be always watching. Because he doesn't know what hour of the night the thief is coming. Why should we be vigilant? According to 1 Peter 5.8 here in our text, we find that the main reason is because we have an adversary. And that adversary we have is the devil. Who in the hymn we just sang, along with his servants, is seeking to draw us from the skies. He's seeking to draw us away from our walk in the way of Christ Jesus. A second reason that we need to be vigilant is because we need to not enter into temptation. As Jesus said to his disciples, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. If we're paying attention to our lives and our own souls, we can keep ourselves from temptation. A third reason, you can be turning to Ephesians chapter 5 now. A third reason that we need to be vigilant and watching is because the days are evil. We've already used these verses today. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, but I want to put them in a little bit of a different light this time. 
Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That word circumspectly means that you need to be paying attention and watching everything around you, circum being a circle. Some I've heard people apply this verse politically before. That's not what this verse is after. The surrounding verses here are about righteousness, obedience, walking in the Spirit, and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. We are to be spiritually circumspect. If you are not vigilant about the state of your soul, the state of your wife's soul, the state of your children's souls, then you're walking as a fool, according to this passage. A fourth reason why we need to be vigilant is because spiritual prosperity has a tendency to grow itself wings and fly away just like natural riches do. Turn to Proverbs chapter 27. I hope all of us know by experience, or unfortunately by experience, that with our sin nature, we do not default towards a sinless relationship with God. We, de- we default to walking in sin and with the course of this world. Amen. It's very similar, as I mentioned, the uh, process that riches do when they make themselves wings and fly away as an eagle toward, he- toward heaven. And uh, this passage here in Proverbs chapter 27 that I want to read to you, is primarily referring to finances. But if it's true of finances, how much more is it true in a spiritual way? Proverbs chapter 7, starting at verse 23. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds, for riches are not forever. And doth the crown endure to every generation? This verse teaches us to be diligent, to know the state of our flocks and our personal finances. But how much more is it true that we need to be diligent to know the state of our souls? In verse 24, there's another point that I'd like to bring out. Riches are not forever. We have a tendency to default towards sin. And the crown does not endure to every generation. And that brings up a whole other point to us. We have generations coming after us. And those generations we are to teach and to lead in the way of righteousness and be vigilant for their souls. Be diligent to know the state of our flocks so that we can pass on those spiritual riches to them. How can we be vigilant? How can we implement this? Well, according to this passage we're already at, we need to be diligent. Diligence requires daily effort, consistent effort, and intense effort. According to Proverbs 4.23, we're supposed to keep our hearts with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. A second way we can be vigilant is to examine ourselves. 
me read. You don't have to turn, but I'd, I'd like to read Proverbs 4, 26 to you. It says, Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. There's a verse in Psalm 119 that says, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Amen. We need to examine ourselves to know where we stand spiritually. We need to know if there's anything in our lives that shouldn't be there, or in the lengthy list our brother Paul Crosby just gave us, what are those things do we need to increase in? We need to examine ourselves to know where we stand, and we need to examine ourselves over a period of time to know where we're headed. And that's what I'm trying to get across to you now, that that is vigilance. We need to pay attention to where we're headed and where we are spiritually so that we can make sure we're headed in the right direction. Right. Well, what, do, what sorts of things do we need to be looking for when we're vigilant and we examine ourselves? We can take our spiritual temperature with just a couple small aspects of our life. For example, how is your desire to pray? Has it increased or has it decreased? And how strong is it? That's, that's just a nice little indicator of how spiritually minded you are. How much time do you spend in prayer? Do you spend more time now than you have in the past or less time now than you have in the past? If it's less time, then... That's a red flag for you. You're being vigilant. You've recognized there's a problem. And the first thing you need to do is reverse it. You need to spend more time in prayer. The same thing goes for your desire to read the Bible. Has it increased or decreased lately? How is your ability to resist temptation? Has it increased or decreased? Do you frequently find yourself falling into the same sins over and over again? If so, then your ability to resist temptation is rather low. Has it increased or decreased? And a way to increase that is, first of all, to recognize that you have a problem. That is vigilance. How much time do you spend thinking on spiritual things? Has that increased or decreased? Is it more or less than it used to be? How much time do you spend talking about spiritual things? Same thing. Who should be, we be vigilant about? We've seen what it means to be vigilant. We've seen why we need to be vigilant. We've seen how to be vigilant. But who do we need to be vigilant about? Well, the first priority is our own selves. We need to be vigilant of our own souls. And then once we've done that, we need to be vigilant of our wives. We've been entrusted with women that we are to God. That we're, it's referred to as leading about a sister. Right. Next, we have children. And then after that, we have brethren in this church. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. song is my lead-in. I want to talk to you about being cast down but not destroyed. 
a temptation in the world today to think that it's wrong to be cast down. I tell you that we're going to be cast down. That's part of the Christian life. Right. It's how you react to it and whether or not you become destroyed that I want to talk to you about. For those of you that may be cast down, I bring you comfort and peace and joy. For those of you that are not cast down, I bring you a warning, and I ask that you take heed to it, for the day will come when you will be cast down, and you will need to look back at how to get out of being cast down so that you don't become destroyed. I want to talk to you about what it means to be cast down. I want to give you some examples of who gets cast down. I want to talk to you about why it happens. And then most importantly, how we fix it. We get cast down because events in life get us there. We get discouraged, we get frustrated, we get scared, we get overwhelmed with different events. It might be something the Lord brings in your way. It might be something you see in your daily activities. It might be something as simple as reading the newspaper and realizing the world around us is crumbling through sin and folly. It might be a hardship the Lord has decided to bring you through. Many of us, that would be the case. The Lord has decided to test your faith and to try you through a hardship. We heard about one that my grandfather is going through. He is building up under it. He is a great example of not becoming destroyed. In a matter of days, he was able to put together his thoughts and get up here and encourage you not to become destroyed when a hardship comes. It may be not having your prayers answered. I know many times I've prayed for something. I've thought that it was a thing that I needed. I prayed diligently for it. Out of nowhere, the Lord decided not to give it to me. The first thought in my mind is to become destroyed. We can't let it happen. Turn with me to Psalm 77. I want to read a couple of verses that I think very plainly describe what it means to be cast down. Although this passage almost gets us to the point where it seems destroyed, we know better about the person that wrote the passage. Psalm 77, I want to read verses 7, 8, and 9. See if this doesn't match up with your heart at times when the Lord brings you through temptations and trials. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. I think we can all say no. But at times in our life, we feel that way. We read a psalm in just the last few weeks where we talked about your bones drying up, the moisture of your life being gone. There are times the Lord is going to put you through trials and temptations where that is the case with your heart. Let's look at a few examples real quickly. To see who it happens to. Once again, that myth that it can't happen to the righteous, that it can't happen to godly people is wrong. I want to turn you to a verse in 1 Samuel 30. I'm going to turn several times. You're welcome to keep up with me, but for sake of time, I'll try to move quickly. 1 Samuel 30, we know the story of David and his men coming back to Ziklag where their families were. And here is a verse that shows even the mighty man of God, a man after God's own heart, could be cast down. That's right. 1 Samuel 30, we're going to read verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. I'm going to save the last part of that verse for later in the how to get out of it. 
But the first part of that verse, none of us have been through something quite so serious, I do not believe. Maybe at times it's come close, but we've never come back to our homes to find everything gone and no hope of what's happened to them. But the fear that they've been killed, and we're to start to move on from that. I'm going to turn you to 2 Corinthians 4 and read a couple of verses that match with the song we just sang about our, the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul, in the middle of his exhortations to the Corinthian church, gives them a little bit of comfort for those that were cast down. I'm going to read verses 4, 7 through 8. Chapter 4, 7 through 8. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. You look at Paul's life and some of the the chapters that he wrote and some of the exhortations and you think, no, the apostle Paul could never have possibly been cast down. He was always full of zeal for the Lord. Even the apostle Paul, at times in his life, was cast down. Turn with me to Proverbs 24, 16. And let's hear even the righteous become cast down. Proverbs 24, 16. This, this gives good comfort because we know from this verse that it's not just once. 24, 16. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. A just man, not once, not twice, but seven times. And we know that seven is just a figure of speech for a just man falls many times. We know that. The just man gets back up seven times and, yea, an eighth time to continue on. So we know, that it, we know that it happens to righteous people. We know that it happens to the just man. Let's go to uh, a little bit more about why it happens. We know from previous exhortations and sermons from our pastor that there's four reasons that the Lord puts us through trials and temptations and we have natural consequences. Here's the four reasons. God's judgment for our sins. Sometimes we're put through times where we're cast down because we've made our own mistakes and the Lord has to judge us for them. Past foolishness, we've done something in the past that's now coming home to bear on our lives and therefore that casts us down. For the glory of God, God for his own power and glory because he is the potter and we are the clay will bring forth instances in your life where he's going to cast you down to see if you will trust in him. And the last one, the one I want to focus on is for the trial of our faith. The Lord at times will perfect us and put us through the the burning of the furnace to to make our gold more pure for him. I want to focus on that one more because, as was already mentioned, especially by my brother Jonathan, the devil is out there. He wants to destroy us. One of the devil's names in Revelation is he is a destroyer. He wants you cast down, but more importantly, he wants you destroyed. For if you're cast down... And you get back up and you keep moving on. Then he has not accomplished his goal in your life. He wants to destroy you and take away every ounce of hope you have. We know from start to finish this is what he does. We heard about Saul earlier. The Lord left him. The the devil came into his life. An evil spirit within him. And he was destroyed eventually completely. And his seed after him. Let's move on to the important aspect. And that is how do we fix it? I want to spend a little bit more time on this one, and then we'll wrap up. 
Turn with me to James 5.11. We had the book of James opened up to us. And James 1 is a, is a wonderful passage to go to Amen. for hope and comfort in trials and tribulations and why and how they happen. But I want to turn to you James 5. And let's remember the Lord's mercy when things are down and when you are cast down and perplexed and distressed. James chapter 5 and verse 11, the book of James pretty much start to finish is talking about your faith and faith with works and how they go together for a Christian's life. James 5.11 though gives us some, some great comfort. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Amen. When we are cast down and we feel like the Lord has left us, as in Psalm 77, one of the greatest areas that you can go to to fix that is to remember that the Lord is merciful. He is kind and compassionate. Turn with me to Lamentations 3 for another verse of comfort in this area. It surprised me in studying for this how often we read about the despondency in Christians' lives, in godly people's lives. I'll name a few, and as I name them, then think about their lives. There was Job. There was Jonah. There was Elijah. There was Jeremiah. And we're going to read a verse here from Lamentations. We know of David. We know of Paul. There's many instances in the Bible where even the most godly of men were cast down, but it's how they come back. This is a verse to give you comfort when you are cast down. Lamentations 3, I'm going to read verses 31 and 32. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. The grief came from the Lord as we read in the first part of that second verse. But he is also the one that will bring bring his multitude of mercies to pass in your life. I want to read you another verse from Hebrews 13:5, and I believe it's a favorite of many in here in times of despair. Hebrews 13:5. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be ye content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Amen. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That's the other half of that Psalm 77. Once he's gotten through those two verses of despair, this is what he goes back to. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I want to give you a four-word answer for being cast down. It's in Psalms 42, verse 11. I know I'm turning to many passages, but I don't feel comfortable getting up here and giving you anything unless I can back it up many times by the word of God. Psalms 42, verse 11, it's a song that we sing, and it is a great, uh, great comfort when you feel that despondency kicking in. Psalm 42, verse 11, hear these words of comfort for a man that was cast down and how he got out of it. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? And here's our four-word answer, hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Beautiful language for us when we are cast down. Where do we go for help? Psalm 121.1 backs up this passage. 
Psalm 121.1, and the whole, the whole Psalm 121 is a beautiful psalm of comfort and help when, you're going to the, when you need the Lord to, to come to your aid. But this is what the psalmist said when he was de- distraught. This is where he went. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. It's a beautiful psalm from start to finish, but there's a couple of quick verses to comfort your heart that when times are tough, when you're cast down, when you feel discouraged, where do you go? Look into the hills from whence cometh your help. And the Lord's not only in the hills, he's right here beside you. You just have to have the eyes of faith to look at it. We've seen what it is. We've seen who it can happen to. Not just those that are in the world and they're looking at too many of the, of the things of the world. It can happen to any of us, especially those that are looking in the world through the eyes of faith and through what the Lord has shown us. We've seen why it happens. It happens because the Lord brings us through circumstances in our life that obviously are going to cast us down. And we see how to get out of it. The reason this is important for this day and time is there is one surefire way to prove to the rest of the world that you are a Christian and to show forth with your life. When adversity comes into your life, how do you react to it? Are you one that becomes cast down and as far as everyone can tell is destroyed as well? So there's no hope in you? Or do the reason of the, re- of, the, of the reason of the hope that's within you, because, yes, you were cast down, but you're hoping in the Lord again. How does right. that happen? We heard about Christian maturity from several brothers. You want to know what real Christian maturity is? And it was mentioned by several in here at, at, at different times. True Christian maturity is when you're cast down, do you stand back up that eighth time? That's how you show forth that true Christian maturity. If you are in need of someone having to come and remind you of this every time every little thing happens in your life, then that is once again, we are babes again, needing the milk and not the meat of the word. We should be able to get up that eighth time through the hope in God. I want to leave you with one final verse, John sixteen thirty three. I would love it if you turn to this one with me because I believe this kind of culminates the whole idea of being cast down but yet not being destroyed. In life we will be cast down, as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes many times. But how could you be cast down with this? John 16, verse 33. Take comfort in this. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen.